Welcome to a special live edition of the Christy Taylor Show. This is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, and I decided to forego recording a show and actually going live with a young emerging transformational leader that I had the chance to get to know when I went back to Oral Roberts University in 2009. And I felt it would be so appropriate to have such an amazing young pastor in Los Angeles come speak to us today, all about things that are happening both currently and where we see the church and church transformational leadership going as we move further into the 21st century. I want you to help me welcome Robert Randolph Rush III, a pastor and leadership expert. He is the pastor of Impact Church, Los Angeles, and yes, a leadership expert. Commissioned by God, he is passionate about edifying and encouraging individuals to live optimally. Now, Robert is an effective strategist and travels to administer training and mobilizing emerging leaders for national transformation. Robert is a graduate of Oral Roberts University with a bachelor's degree in business marketing, and he has a master's degree in practical theology from King's University. He's currently working on his doctorate degree in transformational leadership from Bake Graduate University, and he is so honored to do life and ministry with the love of his life, Brittany Rush, who I also had the joy of meeting when I went back to Oral Roberts University. Now, this lovely couple, Robert and Brittany, have two daughters together, Gabrielle Taylor and Grace Alexandria Rush. Welcome to the show, Robert Randolph Rush III. <laughs> Hi, Christy. How are you doing? I'm so good. Okay, first of all, for whatever reason, I am super hyped. It might be the coffee I drank, or it just could be the fact that I'm geeked to be here talking to you. Now, you know, we have a special friendship, regardless of the years. I have a special love for you and for Brittany. And I am so excited to see all the things that God has been doing in your life individually, as a couple, and as a family, and now as church leaders. Now, I don't want to overdo your bio, but You've been getting a lot of degrees since I last saw you, babe. Yes, 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 yes. I, we've been working really hard. I've been working really hard trying to um, really walk into the fullness of what I believe God has called me to do. So, yep, absolutely. Um, on the bio, it says that I am currently getting my doctorate in transmission leadership, but I'm actually finished with that. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So I'm waiting for my degree to be conferred upon me um, after my uh, defense of my dissertation, but everything else is done. And proposal, everything has been accepted. So I am technically Dr. Rush, but we'll wait till June to make that official. But yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Well, congratulations. Almost Dr. Rush the third. (laughs) And Brittany as well. She has been pursuing quite a bit in church leadership, particularly in the educational scope. Yeah. She's my wife is a principal of a charter school um, in Los Angeles, and she has a master's degree in, in education as well. So we're we're really trying to walk as you know the the two thousand Huxtable kind of family or the traditional, the tradition. We often say we're the traditional um, married Christian family with the pastor and a principal as a as a as a, as a couple. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. that is so true. Preacher teachers, y'all have returned us back to the preacher teacher concept, uh, which was great segue into historical black communities and leadership. Now, this being Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, I felt like this would be so appropriate to go live as opposed to recording a show, particularly since we've had a very interesting 2021 already. And then land this interview by God's design. Yeah. And you being a pastor and also one who is very involved in transformational leadership. First of all, 2020, you and Brittany, what was your takeaway both as a man, a father, and also a spiritual leader. Oh man, 2020 was just, it felt like a decade. It felt like a whole decade um, and a year, right? We felt so much that happened. I mean, just death, um, it just seemed like the spirit of uh, just the death angel kind of came and just took so many people that we love, leaders, and then also just the pandemic and just kind of pressing into, you know, what does it mean to do family? You know, my, I felt like I fell more in love with my wife um, because, you know, I realized I, I could be with her in quarantine for months and months and months at a time, and we still didn't we didn't kill each other. Um, but even with the unrest that we saw, I remember, you know, especially around I guess June, May, time, July, I had the most random people that I've not talked talked spoken with, you know, since Oreo or whatever. 
you know, reaching out to me saying, oh, I love you. I support you. You know, different people of a different, you know, different um, color, co color, uh, color than I am. Right. Making comments and just kind of reaching out. And people were asking me, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? And I realized that one of my frustrations that I've that that we lived with in 2021 is the fact that growing up in America, seeing these images, you know, from the 40s and the 50s, not being around that time, you know, have my mom come from Durban, Arkansas, my parents being from the South and hearing about where we've come and then to still have that same tension, right? The same tension and to still be living in that, you know, 50 years, 40 years, um, you know? And so I think 2020 produced a level of frustration um, with within myself, a frustration that I knew that I had, um, but then it just became more apparent. Another frustration that I felt that I really came to grips with um, and I, and I will, and I, you know, and, and that's why I love our conversations. We have the ability to talk about this. So the thing that I really gave, came to grips with was my frustration as an evangelical. I mean, I grew up hardcore Baptist, you know, like, you know, I'm spiritual Baptist, hardcore Baptist in a social gospel context. And my church, you know, and my school was all African American, all black. So I was very aware of my blackness and I was very in tune with my blackness. Um, but then going to Oral Roberts University, and being more persuaded into a more evangelical type of mainstream bent of mm -hmm. theology and you know, process and acceptance. I saw that, I realized that in 2020, 2020, although I know who I am and I was very in touch with who I am, but then yet there was a frustration that I realized, wait, I've accepted a theology, a concept that I don't really agree with, you know, um, a perspective, a persuasion that's not authentic. So I felt a need in 2020, you know, to to press into authenticity and then to discover what that is or to rediscover and redefine what that is as a black millennial in yeah. the United States of America, you know? And so there's a lot of different things, you know, just this, 2020 was just a year that I, I think, it, I, I, and as I said to you, I think before when we spoke last week, I believe that it was a prophetic year. Um, I think that it was 2020 was a year as a year to kind of show us the hope of our nation, to show yeah. us where we are as a nation. And to allow us, if we were willing to accept it as an opportunity to look into the future. So I know I said a lot there, but it's just, that was beautiful. Yeah. That was good. It was on point. And you you're speaking to a lot of the core of what I have been feeling. And with me being a generation Xer, you being a bona fide millennial. Bonafide. <laughs> bonafide. I, I oftentimes wonder what you all are thinking. Of course, they have built into the dialogue that there is a battle between the baby boomers and the, and the um, millennials. But oftentimes I have said to myself and friends and those of us who are in that Generation X, the sandwich, the generation between the two of you all, that oftentimes we have not positioned ourselves in a place to really give voice to what we see from both sides. Mm-hmm. And which is why I've always tried to, particularly in the last couple of years, become more engaged with you all's generation and really mm -hmm. hear what you are thinking because you all have inherited a world mm -hmm. that is imperfect. Mm -hmm. You all have inherited a world where every institution we valued and held as holy has been exposed with perversion, with faulty belief systems in every sector of society. Mm -hmm. And yet Y'all have still charged you all, particularly those in the faith, with maintaining a sense of godliness mm -hmm. and belief. So I, I've been wanting to have this conversation. And now that we have had the 2020 global pandemic, economic recession, social um, unrest and, and a contentious election, all within, as you say, bedrock, Baptist beliefs, Pentecostal yeah. experience, evangelical exposure, and for those who are going to be watching us, I want us to have Robert, because you know, we, we talk, talk. Yes. <laughs> oftentimes at the intersection of our Christianity coming from very social justice roots, but being exposed to a evangelical gospel that exposed us as black people of promise, mm -hmm. tokens even, mm -hmm. exposed to the globalization of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of talk about that in light of Dr. King and the work he did, which ended up reverberating around the world. And we sometimes get caught up, as you know, with feeling conflicted, mm. feeling conflicted about our faith and about yeah. 
your place in the world, about politics, about economics. And I would like for you, I'm giving you the floor. It's almost like this is your show today. <laughs> speak both as a man, as a black man, but from your prophetic gift. Okay. Absolutely. Well, this is, I, I, I love to be able to have these type of platforms to be able to talk about this. And I love to express this because, you know, typically in the church, in my experience, you know, my ministry style, I am, I am a revivalist at heart. And, and when people bring me in to preach or when I go places to preach, I often feel the frustration. Um, and I love to preach mine. I love traveling and all that. That's like my thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the, to be in a box of just being revival, like revival, 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 shouting and dancing, prophesying, laying people out and all that stuff, which I love. But there's there's so much more that comes, there's so much more prophetically that we have to address as the church, that we have to address as a people. And I think that as long as we are in a position where we are hollering and screaming, we're never educated enough to emerge. And that is part of when we talk about the educational piece. That's what my wife and I have invested into education because we both come from that experience where we feel like, you know, we our folks are ignorant. Our folks are ignorant and we don't really know how to, you know, to navigate through these things properly with right perspective. One of the things that I believe that I have really legitimately been perplexed with um, has been this divide to be a conservative, a conservative millennial, a millennial that is conservative, that, that, that I value our Judeo-Christian values. There's nothing more that I love and cherish more than living in a nation that is a Christian, you know, a Christian, some will say post-Christian, but a Christian nation to where we do honor God and that we do allow religious freedoms. The thing that has been the most frustrating in that discovery, right, coming into, as you said, I love the word being token. I've been, I've been at ORU a token black guy, right? One of the few to enter into like the the space of of the environment and to be able to sit at the table with the likes of, you know, a lot of the leaders, I can't say names, a lot of the leaders that are promoting, you know, our current president um, and promoting ideas and supporting ideas and kind of concepts that, that I was taught or trying to be, or almost brainwashed to believe in that when I realized of who I was authentically didn't make sense. And I, and I, and I give you this example. I remember when I was at ORU at a mega church at ORU um, and I was in the back and it was all these mega, like these big time word of faith preachers. Okay. You can feel it, figure out who you think it is, whatever, but these big time word of faith preachers and they were talking. And then the idea, the conversation about politics came about. And I remember sitting there and you know how you are when you were amongst these people, you kind of sit and you, you're quiet and you, you, you kind of, you know, you're in the room, but you don't say anything. Right. Then they began to talk about uh, some social economic issues and some, and really promoting some Republican ideas and thoughts. And as they were talking about those people, I realized, wait. Those people? I'm those people. I'm those people. I'm that, I'm not, and I was like, wait, I know that you might, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not, although I can speak a certain type of way and, and I can give you a version of myself that is palatable, palatable for you to accept me, I'm not that. And so in that, it began, it began this tension. I think that, and to bring that into where we are now, I think a lot of millennials are at that tension. A lot of, especially Christian millennials are at the, that, that tension because we're seeking, especially black millennials, we're seeking authenticity. We want to be ourselves. We want to be able to express ourselves and be able to communicate what we feel, our, our visions and, and accept people. Right now, the generation before us, it seems to have this thing about, you know, tolerance, right? Just tolerance. But I don't necessarily know if I want to tolerate my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor. Yeah. You know? But I think that that's what we're at. And I think that even when we see the divide, and I think that's when 2020 hit and with all the things that happened, I just thought it was so interesting how, you know, wearing masks or COVID became politicized. I thought that was the most, um, it's, it's like, Amazing. how is it? How and, and why, why, why in the world are Christians, Bible believing, spirit filled Christians supporting? Ideas, or no, not ideas, an individual that literally does not stand or does not seem to stand for our values. Now, I understand now policy politically wise, but like we're not going, we're going to just like close our eyes to the racism that is that is present, the, 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 the intolerance, the ignorance that is present, the lack of diplomacy. We're going to close our eyes. And I think that that right there within myself in 2020, it began to build a frustration. Like I said, that word frustration, a frustration a holy anger to say, you know what, I, we cannot walk and consistently be in that, in that establishment. 
And so it's like it leads us to go into areas to embrace concepts that seem to um, to go against our, our upbringing. So now we have this divide between the baby boomers and the millennials. It's like, well, y'all fake, baby boomers. Y'all fake. Y'all the ones saying, yes, the boss. Yes, the master. Y'all the ones that's not going to stand true and speak up and be honest. Like, what happened? Like, what happened? How do we get from the Dr. Kings and the marches on Selma to now this type of place now to where in Christendom? Now, I'm not just talking, I'm talking about within Christians, right? I'm not, I'm talking about Christians because Dr. King was a preacher. Yes, How he was. The church is leading the movement. And now the church has gotten so engrossed in this idea, this thought, this prosperity, the things that come with this version of Christianity to where we're not even speaking up and saying what is, what is right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Where is the voices of this generation? And that's why I think that a lot of millennials are moving from the establishment. Not want to deal with the traditional churches, not want to be a part of the traditional ideas or you know, as we, you know polit political ideas and thoughts. A lot of more millennials now are moving into being an in, 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 in independent thought. This is like, we don't have time for this. Right. We need change. We don't need, a, we don't need promises of change, promises of hope. We need a different America and we're going to take a different, we're going to make sure we get the America that we are seeking for. Wow, that's powerful. I like the fact how you introduced, okay, because I, I love to put all of this in both historical perspective, both from a secular and sacred you know, concept, you know, the humanities of America in the last 100 years. A hundred years ago, we were coming from the church perspective. All of this is because we are honoring a preacher who yeah. led the social movement today. That's what this conversation is about. Uh, we can get into the public policies that, in, that came and emerged, but what we had was a black preacher mm -hmm. And positioned at the forefront of a movement that had already been in motion. Mm -hmm. Of course, historically speaking, I know that my grandmother, my mother's mother, let's introduce this to the conversation. They were against integration. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, those who were born out of the slave emancipation reconstruction period, they were absolutely against are integrating into white culture and society because they saw this day. Mm -hmm. Let's just, so let's add that in. And I oftentimes talk to my mother who thank God just turned 87. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot of things very heady and I joke with her. I said, why did y'all disobey your parents? <laughs> <laughs> you all disobeyed your parents and pushed for uh, integrating into white culture and society because of the pushback of the separate but equal. I, and I do understand that. However, I believe in that rub, in that generational breakdown, going back to what you said, that generation that pushed for the civil rights movement, the good and the bad is, is that there turned out to be some detrimental things that was introduced yeah. into black culture, into yeah. the black community, black family. That we're still suffering from. Absolutely. So when you all as a millennial, which goes to what I say as a generation Xer, I want to make sure I clear clarify that, is because we do know that part, Robert. And yeah. I apologize for not communicating as a Gen Xer the fact that there was a lot of balls that were dropped. Mm. That has that you all have now inherited as you move into leadership. Yeah. So part of your ability to lead into the 21st century is we have to talk about the past century. Absolutely. And Absolutely. the past century is that there were some generational breakdowns on how to handle black people in an oppressive society. Mm -hmm. And so we did have a generation as we call the great generation that came out, that were birthed out of the wars yeah. who, because they had seen the world and they yeah. had seen how it could be in other countries. And they came back home thinking that they could integrate and be accepted. Yeah. But the truth is, is that we see that wasn't necessarily true. Yeah. That's what you all have really inherited is that it's not about the policies and the integration and being able to eat, cook, you know, dance, sleep, <laughs> hang out, play basketball with people who are quote unquote, not of our culture, but it really was the equal part in the, 
I would say the the life mattering part. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to apologize as a Generation X Xer to not let you all know that's what you all inherited. You 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 inherited a divide of Black culture where there were two generations saying don't integrate and one that wanted to integrate. And because we did make strides economically, for many Black people are in a better position economically than we were 100 years ago. Absolutely. And we have opportunities more than we had, of course, 100 years ago. And that is due to integration. I agree with that. I always feel like one of the demise, the, the, a, a demise of the African-American experience and um, culture has been our integration. Um, people don't really like to talk about that, but I do believe that. Um, because we lost, we lost, we lost sense of our of our of our role models, mentors, right? Going to school and not ever seeing a, a black teacher, you know, going to school and never seeing black, you know, thinkers. And so I and I imagine I mean, I imagine that's gonna be very difficult because praise God, my church. We'll give you a little history. My church was, as I said, a social gospel church. We come to my church at Calvary. Um, growing up, there was a black Jesus on the stained glass windows, okay? So my church was real black, okay? It was very black. And the school we had was black. Santa Claus, my Santa Claus was black. My Jesus was black, right? So every, all the pictures of everybody in my school environment was black. Even in, in, in a California area, it was majority Hispanic, but I was able to grow up for it, you know, until the eighth grade in an all black type of experience. The poems we spoke, the poems that we recited was all black art, art, you know, artists. You know, the people that we listen, the music we listen to, the jazz, we learned our culture. So that was a benefit. But that's my experience. That's not all of our experience. And because we've lacked that, it seems as if we've, but I think that's the thing that is we're longing for now. It's like, this thing, it's like this, the millennial generation is longing for that, as I said, authenticity. That is like, true. Who are we? And how can we, how can we navigate in today's time and not be people that you just accept? Right or just here by affirmative action. How do we get into a position where we are mm-hmm. leading voices are heard, and we're not just the token person, just to match a quota, you know? And it's a it's, it's a reality that, and as we as we reflect on Dr. King, right? I believe that when he when he shared his speech and he shared his vision, I don't think that what we are at now was in it's that. What he saw. No, it was not. Mm-hmm. Not for us to lose our our grip, not for the church. Mm-hmm. To lose our voice, not for us not to be able to name a pastor, a mega pastor. Come on, now. respectable that will actually share their opinion and speak up against it. I mean, like you think about this, like who now is leading this movement? We have people that lead the movement, and we see the movement, but it's like they don't have the same level of respect. They don't have the charisma, you know. Those of us that have moved into the charismatic church. That's the thing that I've heard. This guy told me he was, this is his last year in 2020. I told him that some of his actions to me, our church, we were using their building. I said to him, this seems to be a racial tension. You're complaining about our sound. You're complaining about our, how we play the drums. You're complaining about all this, right? There's there's racial undertones in our exchange. This man told me there's no such thing as racism. We are in the kingdom as Christians. Mm-hmm. We are brothers in the kingdom. Okay, let's talk about this. Okay, for some people who are not part of the multiplicity of Christendom, because some people are still very much sect-driven in the Christian church. Yeah. You and I have been exposed to the highest levels of Christianity, the globalization of it, and it's always interesting when I share the story that I, I like you early on was sitting in the rooms as that token being given that special treatment because I had the extra extraness only to find out that they were going to send me to the places I came from to evangelize. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, it, because like yourself, I had such a strong foundation of I had some of the most safest saints, honey, growing up. There's no way possible I could go back to my community and save them. But I understand mm-hmm. the conversation I recently had with a dear friend, and I think she may be watching. 
about the fact that what we were being actually taught was a form of imperialism, mm-hmm. capitalization, and capitalism that the black church bought into because we before, and I want to get to the Republican platform. Okay. This Prior to the current platform that is being pushed within the black evangelical movement, because all I'm concerned about right now is the black church, because that's what Dr. King was. He was a leader um, seeking freedom and, and, and equality for black people and eventually in, in incorporated others. But as, a, as I see our journey, we, we were beguiled into believing that their way of doing church and I have a lot. Okay, now I'm going to sound like a, a token for sure. I have a lot of amazing friends who are non-black. Yeah, love absolutely. me, and I love them. Absolutely. As a culture, historically placed, we were we were beguiled to believe that the way they were doing church was better. Right. Yes. And we have suffered as a result. So therefore, we do not have a voice at the table because we have. Huh, as a preacher, I want you to speak to that because I, I, I could preach. Okay, so this is about know. us making a change as we move forward because it is imperative that not just from a secular perspective, but that the church regains their position in the struggle. Absolutely. I, so here's the thing. Now, I think when we talk about the kingdom of God, the struggle that we have with the kingdom of God is that we think that, or people say stuff like, you know, it doesn't matter what your color is as long as your blood is red, right? And our blood is, we've been covered under the blood of Jesus. Okay, that's fine. But we have to understand this idea and this concept that when the Lord created us, he placed us in our experience socially, economically, uh, um, racially. He places an experience because his desire is to call us out of that experience to then bring deliverance and salvation to that experience. And so for me, that as a black man from the hood of Los Angeles, right? Mm, a little bit of it, right? Um, but I come from my experience, right? Family members that have been incarcerated, understanding gang violence, growing up in the in, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, very well of like the Crips and the Bloods, right? Grow, go walking down the street, can't wear certain colors. That experience is a part of my experience. God would not put me in this skin. God would not put me in this, this history if he did not have a word for me for those people or for my people. Yes. I think the thing that we've had is that at one time it was almost like you're you've been snatched out of them, so now you can become one of us. Nah, my friends Pookie and Tay and you know and you know Shaquan, these folks right literally are my friends. I grew up with these people. Need to hear a gospel, a message that is relevant to where we are. Yes. The issue with the imperialistic gospel or the yes. my European bent of the gospel. I'm trying to say this is not contextualized. Correct. Even how we interpret Christianity. I'll say this. Part of my doctoral studies, I spent some time in Malaysia. We did some studies in Malaysia. was in Malaysia and Japan. But Malaysia was very interesting to me. One of the things that I thought was very fascinating was when I was in Malaysia and I went to the Christian church. For those mm-hmm. of you guys who know history, Malaysia is not a Christian nation. Malaysia actually is a Muslim. It's an, Islam, it's an Islamic nation. And they associate their religion or their nationality based off their religion. So you, have, you can be historically Indian or you know race. You can be born Indian or you can be born African or you can be born Chinese. You can be born whatever, Italian. As long as you are Muslim and you speak the Malay language, you are considered to be a, a Malay. Okay, you're considered to be that. That is that is your race. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I go into the Christian church and this is one of our studies, we went to the largest Christian church, the underground church in Malaysia. We went there and they were singing songs and they were singing hill songs and they were singing everything in it was hill song and everything felt like I, I felt like I was at you know the largest church in the US. Yes. Like now, and, and they were singing this music, and it was not until they sang Our God Reigns in their Malay language that I felt the anointing. Wow. Because they had accepted, and I and my mind began to go into the imperialistic idea. We right. received Christianity. From people that were conquerors, we received in Christianity the Christianity that we have, where the individuals that went and overtook lands and said to these people, "You are savages. Let me give you a better way." So we received our Christianity from people that did not understand tolerance, that disregarded culture, that disregarded history, and they try to create a new history. So although Jesus. I feel the Holy Ghost. Maybe I'm going to start preaching. No, I'm going to start preaching. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
And Jesus' gospel is the gospel of the kingdom to bring all men into salvation, okay? But that message of the cross got translated within individuals that disregarded regarded culture. Now, in 2021, we have this one version of Christianity. I'm not talking about the truth of the gospel. That never changes. But one version of Christianity that is perpetuated and shared, and we think this is the right, right way or the white way, way. And it's not. And it's been devastating for our progression as a people because now we're trying to do ministry based off of this template that focuses on a suburban model and we're not, and we're missing the inner city. We're missing what they would call an urban experience. We're missing our authentic experience. And I'm seeing this so much within the millennial generation. It's like, we're trying to be like them and we're forgetting who we are, who we are as a people. The way that the church and the and, and, and African-American community was able to emerge was through the, the AME and the Baptist church. These CME churches, these churches were social, social people. They had their own banks. They had their own school systems. They had their own communities. And they yield and lended their help. To, they were involved in the community. But now our mind is so mega, so big, trying to do all this other stuff. And we're missing how we've been called to respond to our community, how we've been called to change our community. So now we have the lowest test scores. Now that we have our children that are ignorant, that are not going to school. Now we have individuals that don't know who they are. They look at rappers and they look at what the media portrays to us as what is an acceptable black person. And then we deem that, we receive that. We have no, well, who are our heroes? Now, thank God for President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, because they were able to introduce a different dimension or reintroduce to us of what black excellence is and to give us ability to be able to celebrate that. But like now we are in a space too, it's like we're trying to find our way. And in the church, shame on us. Shame on us for giving up our authenticity and our history to be accepted. To I want to because you brought up two black world leaders, Barack Hussein Obama <laughs> and Michelle Obama. You understanding us historically, also understanding our being accepted in the evangelical movement, understanding that for many of us, black Republicans emerged from that faith. Mm -hmm. Many people saw their presidency as something against God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, what was your view on them? Because they did accept and push for gay marriage. They yes. did regulate abortion, which are the two only things that I see most black Republicans deal with. They're not looking at the corporate greed. They're not looking at any of the fiscal in, uh, international atrocities that the Republican Party pushes for in their policies. But the only two things that we push for was, quote unquote, the moral agenda that Barack Absolutely. and Michelle did not push for. And yet for many people, there's a divide even within black America because they did not do that what were your views on that as a preacher and as a pastor? That's very, I, I love this question. Um, so my views with Barack and Michelle Obama were and still are that I am utterly impressed with them. I love them as an individual. I love them, I love what they represent. I will never forget when President Obama won that election and Michelle came out there with those black babies. I cried. I remember crying and being just, I'm about to cry right now, just that, that image. Because I remember in second grade, when they asked us in second grade, when I was in second grade, and they asked us, um, would you, you know, do you see yourself ever becoming a, the president of the United States? And I remember as a kid saying, no, I don't ever see myself being able to be the president of the United States. I don't think America's ready for this. At second grade. So to be, I think at that time, a sophomore in college, and to see that our nation has come to this place, I'm like, well, praise God, man. This is amazing. It gives us some hope some ideas that, you know what, the, the glass ceiling has been lifted. So yes, I love the Obamas for what they represent. Policy-wise, there are some things that they were re represented also that didn't necessarily agree with us theologically or even, um, yeah, yeah, theologically or even spiritually. But I think the tension that we, the tension that a lot of, you know, conservative Black Christians received is that it was almost, we were almost coerced it's almost, you're almost bullied if you were in a mainstream type of idea, almost bullied 
not to express your admiration or just your acceptance of just what they mean for history beyond policy. America is not a theocracy. The Vatican is a theocracy. Theocracy is, is a country that is governed by the Pope. When we have world leaders, Democratic or Republican leaders, the conversation is this. Are you going to make decisions that are the best for the, for the betterment of the people? Barack and Michelle Obama, Barack in their time, their tenure of leadership, they made decisions that that helped and assisted those that have seemed to be oppressed, those that have felt oppressed. Barack and Michelle Obama, um, they campaigned change, they campaigned hope, moving America into a place of more love and acceptance. Am I a fan of it? Not 100%, no. I'm not a fan. I'm I was I'm not a fan that President Obama's I feel like he snuck in the gay marriage on us. I was very upset with him about that. I feel like I woke up one day and was like, wait, it's been passed. When did when was this even happening? You know, it's like, wait, the White House is is is, is White House is rainbow? Like, what are you doing? You know? But those things are the same sense. When you talk about human rights, these people wanted to get married. They're not saved. They're not in. They're not in our, our theology. They're not in our religion. They're not in our faith. So when you look at it politically, you're like, okay, I, I you look, you, you're, you're President Obama, are you're a leader of all people. You're a leader of all people. And so I, 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 I have struggled with that. However, I'm very grateful for what they, for the diplomacy that they represented beyond what we just saw, what we just had. And even as a person that has been traditionally, oh, I want to share this story with you. Um, at ORU, when I when he went, I was at ORU, and again, policy or not, you know, Democrat, Republican or not, shoot, we got a black man in the White House, okay? And Michelle's real black, like she real black from Chicago, so we all happy about that, okay? Everybody happy. And at ORU, they didn't even mention. They didn't even mention his his. They didn't mention it. I would never. I, my, my my friends and I, we all wore our Barack Obama shirts. I had to sing with ORU singers that day on stage. And I got on that stage and was singing. Whatever, whatever we were singing at the time. And nobody said anything about it. That's so why I said it was almost like you have to be bullied to not even accept the fact that this is historical. You know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's the that's the ignorance that we had. And, and I want to say this. I think what is happening within the church, I feel like we've lost our ground. Part of the reasons why we see all the recklessness or the unrighteousness be portrayed or mm. displayed is because we have not accepted our call to preach the gospel to all of them. I can give you some Bible here. In Romans, it says, you know, the Romans, the Romans says, how can they hear, right, without a preacher, right? How can they hear without, how can they one preach without being sent, right? The gospel has been preached to all people. Paul wrote that scripture trying to show the religious Jewish people, listen, the gospel must be preached to all people. That means if they're, if they're Greek, if they're, if they're Greek, if they're African, if they're Asian, no matter how they live, if they're pagan, if they're worshiping Diana, if they're worshiping whoever, they need the gospel. So what we have done in the church, the evangelical church, we said, oh no, you're too nasty for us. You're too, too reckless. We, we're not gonna preach the gospel to you. We're gonna reject you from your church. We're gonna kick you out because you're gay. We're gonna kick you exactly. out because they want, to, they want to look like a man. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna, no no. You know, oh, you had an abortion. Oh, shame on you. Oh, you're divorced. Oh, shame on you. We're gonna disown you. And these individuals have been forced to bring themselves into some type of justice. We're the reason why Barack and Michelle had to do that kind of stuff. Because now you have these people that are experiencing different experiences, and when they've come to the church, we were too pompous. Too caught up in our supremacy, where we for we we take the fact of reaching out to everybody. So now, to be democratic means to reach all people. To be Republican seems to mean that we are we, we appeal to the aristocracy of America. So, yeah. yes, yes. You know, I am so grateful that you, as a millennial. millennial is speaking to that because I have been feeling that and speaking that in my intimate circles for decades. Mm. How that went, and I just had that conversation with someone last night. It's like the only reason why policymakers have to even get into moral issues 
and make legislations and policies in that direction is because the church failed. Yeah, we failed. If, if you preach the gospel of liberation and the gospel of love and get to the heart of the issue, then a lot of the lifestyles that we want to regulate through policy would, it would not exist. Would not exist. You know, I think about how growing up in the South, your parents as well, having that Southern root, we had so much inclusion while not being tolerant of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. We, we did not have to be concerned with the Republican current platform of morality yep. because we already were dealing with those who had alternative lifestyles and how we dealt with it. We already did. We, we weren't even participating in, you know, the quote unquote pro-life movement because we were having eight, 10, 12 children. People were having children out of wedlock, still could get married. Another man would raise their child. Because they're even in the midst of our cultural shame, because they were shame if you had a child out of wedlock, but there was still love and grace in the midst of that. Your grandma will take that baby and raise that baby as their own. You know what I mean? So there was no need for this pro-life argument where we now had to become divisive. We were the one that were shamed in the 80s for having quote unquote children out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. We were the, we were the community that 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 the that the greater society said, you all are having too many children. And they were the ones that began in the late 80s and 90s. I remember in my time of, of, of really pushing this agenda under the auspices of Christianity of having long-term birth control for black women. Mm-hmm. So when we come to the 21st century and all of a sudden we now want to chastise each other for being in the vein of procreation or not to procreate. We have, that's why I say the black church, you know, this is our day of reckoning. It is. The greatest society, but we're talking about um, on this day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he alone did not do this. It was a movement of the black church. Now, were some churches sitting on the sideline waiting for things to get better, and then they showed up at World Woolworth? (laughs) Some churches sat on the sideline, but for many black churches, they were in the trenches. And that's where we have to return. I said this. We can no longer be angry that the LGBTQ community hijacked, took over, pushed forward the civil rights and humanity agenda. When yeah. we dropped yeah. it, we dropped it. The church what, dropped what, it. What happened with us? We got we took what was given to us. We, some of us got our good jobs, our good government jobs. Some of us got our other things, and we stopped really feeling the strain. You know, they gave us enough to believe that things had changed, and now we're seeing it has not changed. Well, the, when the LGBTQ community continued to press and ask for change as far as acceptance, right? You've, you've abused us for too long, and now you're going to accept us. We're in your face. You were in your face. And so we were just sitting and getting fat out high off the hog, and we gave up on, you know, we gave up on, you know, us. I even think about even when we talk about, like, jobs and employment in America, you know, it's like the jobs that we once, Black people used to you know, to work in. We had a conversation about this, even like black men in construction. We yes. were the construction folks. Yes. My daddy made a lot of money working in construction. Yes. I won't pick up nothing. Like, like listen. I but that became a cultural shift. It became something that was shamed. We were shamed of being yeah. blue collar. We were shamed, you know, by our station in life, not understanding we need every layer of society to move us, uh, move us, forward as a family, community, and nation. Can I give you we something that's really interesting though? It's so interesting. Yes, sir. Go ahead. The, reason the reason why I don't pick up nothing now is because my dad did that. My dad didn't want me to be a painter. My dad wanted me to go to college and get a degree. So my dad, dad built out a In his mind, he was like, my son is not gonna do X, Y, and Z. So now I'm a yeah. product of my father, right? Yeah. So here I am, clean cut, you hear me? I'm, I'm, yes, I'm a man, right? But when it came down to it, I can't even walk in my family trade. Right. Now my dad, my, that generation, was like, we've done this. We've like, we, we, we paid the way. But then in the Jewish community, that's how they continue generational wealth. It's like you move beyond walking in, you know, being a blue collar worker. Now you have the idea of an executive. Now you can right. build my business, my, 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 now you can build my little, you know, my little storefront business, a small business, you can bring a build into an empire because you have the, the acumen for it. But that's how even the Korean culture has done. But black folks 
trying we to just, it, trying to keep up with the white folks. We've we've forsaken that. Now I will say this: my parents, my 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 ancestry on my mother's side. I don't know about my father, but I'm just gonna speak on my mother's side. They were agrarian. They were agriculture based. They were my grandfather sharecropped. He was a sharecropper. My grandmother on my mother's side, she did domestic work. You know, even my mom when she was in college, she did domestic work. So there was a disconnect for us. Church was our escape. <laughs> church mm. was our escape. You know, once you could sing, preach, shout and holler, you know what I'm saying? Then you can go into entertainment or, or pastor church, you know, and technically <laughs> I could do both, but you know, I'm not going to play with God or his people because I could be a good first lady or pastor right about now. <laughs> uh, you, you already know I love to preach and pray on the low. Um, Especially pray. I love to pray. I really do. But uh, we're not going to let everybody know that. But I want to <laughs> say to the wrap up, as we have discussed a lot of different angles, and I know for some people who have who are watching and who may watch this later, to see two black people from different generations talk about the impact they felt, first of all, being integrated into white society within the Christian circles in within Christendom. I'm very, to this day, there's a pain. I'm going to speak to it for me. There's a pain that I feel that I had to sit in those rooms realizing that who they wanted to save was me. That there is a pain there. And I, I hope that by me having these conversations that if anybody's like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. No, sweetie. You know, no, sweetie. You know, and oftentimes I talk about this. It's like, when they're talking about evangelizing the world, as you say, the imperialistic incorporation that has been impacted around the globe, you know, that the gospel, as we were taught, came with the conquerors, came with colonialism. And it's OK for us to accept that. It yes. is OK for us to understand that it was all intertwined. But God is still God. God is still supreme outside of the current 1000 years of of, of uh, European rule, God is still supreme and we can still, you know, I know there's a lot of pushback with millennials and even my generation, why they, they, they left the church because they didn't want to have nothing to do with that European God. God is still God. God is still supreme. God is still the ultimate, but it's okay for us to accept and ex the reality that it had been intertwined. And it is okay for us to begin to, uh, I think about Kirk Franklin, who, who has, Definitely, I felt had a lot of hardship in the last couple of years as he began to have to speak to some of the uh, racial issues within the Christian music circles because of the fact that they abandoned us when it comes to racial inequalities, when it comes to them not standing um, with us when it came to protecting our lives and the things that are of concern about our communities. But I think it's OK for us as, as black Christians or, or people of faith or your spiritual walk. Uh, wherever you feel you are on the spectrum of believing God, for us to unravel that. Yes. See forward knowing that God is God. And that it's okay if we if we un if we unravel the threads of white supremacy from mm. our from our, from our belief systems. It's okay. It really is okay. It's okay. I agree, I agree with that. I and I and I I feel like that last year, 2020, helped me to come to that realization more than what I thought I needed to. Now, one thing I, I never, I never left the black church. I love the black church. I mean, I, I, I would not go to a church if I cannot holler. Like if I can't holler, <laughs> if I can't holler. And you know, I don't do it all the time now. But when I do it now, if I, when I, if I, I would not go to a church. If I feel uncomfortable, if I, you look at me crazy. If I want to ah, go nuts, even once a year, maybe twice, I need to just act like a pump, have a pump black Baptist fit, fall all out, mess my clothes up. I just, I want to be able to. Be accepted. Get that ugly cry. Get that ugly cry. Get it out, right? right? But I think for me, I I felt that same sensation. I think that was the thing that got to me. That hurts me so bad to see these people in the Capitol praying and to be associated, to be associated with the and and, and to have my friends or people that look at me and be like, or those that are not Christian, right? To assume that I share those same values. That thing, that thing, that stuff, my experience at ORU, I love ORU, right? But a lot of this stuff I experienced was traumatic for me. Yeah. Like being told, like realizing, not, not I mean, I, still, I have a nice voice, but I ain't the best singer, but realizing 
that I was able to be able to do the different things because of my, because I don't do a lot of runs and I, I and, and, and because of how I act and I can come off on camera. And to realize that these people are trying to save me, as you said, and that they didn't have, they didn't weren't concerned about me or my history, my family. I was a joke to them. I was a conversation piece. I was I was a way in to, to be able to, to ask all the racist questions you want to ask, yeah. right? That thing's yeah. damaging. Now I realize that there's ignorance and people are just ignorant that they are who they are. It is what it is. And I do like, you have great friends that are not, that are not, that are white, that are, that are not black. Great friends, our best friends. Who love me and our allies and our true allies. I mean, allies that, that are just as angry about them as I am. So I ain't gonna yes. act like, like, no, I ain't like, but there is a, I have, yeah. Shout out to my friends from high school and college, first and second time, who will jump on a Facebook thread in a minute. Yes. And, you know, bring truth to it. I'm in a couple of ORU groups and they're, you know, people are setting their soul free. They you are. Know, honey, and I'm grateful because if you are in leadership in the Christian church, in any capacity at this point, there is there is no line to, to cross. Either you mm -hmm. own, you know, there is no middle ground. Mm -hmm. Decision time, because what we're talking about is, is unconditional love and righteousness and yes. justice. And justice. And we have to pick up that baton. And I, and I think that what, in order, and if we can be prophetic, in order for us to regain America and to bring America into revival, it's necessary for us to get our hands dirty and to embrace people that we've been taught to not embrace and to maybe entertain concepts and deal with and wrestle with our theology a little bit and wrestle with some of our perception a little bit and begin to open up our hands and our hearts for people that we've been deemed and taught that were demonic and destructive. We might have to hold our hands and cross the line and do some things that maybe is, is unconventional in order for us to regain. Because right now, we are, we are losing terribly. We're losing terribly. And I think that if we're going to deal with transformational leadership and then come back into the spirit and understand Dr. Dr. King's, you know, as we celebrate his life, we're going to have to, even like Coretta Scott King, she, after Dr. King died, she started moving into some other stuff. She started promoting like women's rights and gay rights. I mean, we don't talk about that because it's not, but she got into the rights of human of human beings. I think the church needs to begin to, to push that, not change our truth, right? Not to change our truth. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if somebody lives in a different truth or somebody lives in a different reality, let's embrace them and love them with our truth and not use our truth to disown and discredit them and to push them away. We got to get it together. 2020 was a year that was prophetic to show us that this is what, listen, this was going on in your nation. And for those of you guys that are watching that are a different persuasion or of a different race or whatever, I implore you to not be defensive in the times of us being honest. Let black folks talk. Like, let us talk. Thank God for integration. I got the same education as y'all. Listen to me. I'm not talking to Nubonics. Listen, right? When we share truth, accept it in humility, and let's use that truth to move us forward. That's right there. That right there is what the church needs to do. We need to hear the truth, dis disassociate ourselves from the supremacy, right? This whole separatist mindset. We got, we came, we cut the theology comes from the separatists. They came here with the idea of starting a nation with slaves. Like our nation, this is a part of our fabrics, 1619, part of the fabric. You know, this is part of the, the, the ethos of America. Let's accept it, but let's bring an end to it. Yes. Begin to say, Lord, forgive us. Yes. Forgive us. Accepting a different version or accepting a, accepting a call to not be authentic and even stepping into places where we're not authentic, forgive us. And forgive us, forgive. Forgive, forgive us for making people be who they're not and making them feel mm -hmm. as if their authenticity, authenticity is not acceptable. And let's mm -hmm. find a way to embrace each other and let's move and change this nation. I, really, I feel like that's what transformation, that's, I think that's what transformational leadership is authentically. To look at the history of the past, to assess where we are and to strategize moving forward. When I study transformational leadership, 
the biggest idea of transformational leadership is not is different than strategic leadership. Strategic leadership deals with the idea of leading by strategy, mm-hmm. right? Leading by vision. But transformational leadership says that we lead by transformation. We lead by looking internally and bringing us into a place of transformation to where we change the organization from the inside out. Strategic leadership, you can bring people from the outside in and bring change. And it's like, no, no, no. We're going to assess what we have. We're going to do what we need to do with what we have and fix it and improve it from the inside out. And that in turn will be transformation. So I think we need to look at what we have in America, our ugliness, our evil, our beauty. And let's pick all that together and let's bring ourselves into a place of, of justice and peace in the future. So that's I like. Well, we're going to be wrapping up in just one second. Um, we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to a live edition of the Christy Taylor Show on this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday and one emerging transformational leader, Robert Randolph Rush III. I had the joy of meeting him in 2009 when I returned to Oral Roberts University, and I'm so glad we have had a love relationship and a, I'm going to say more of a sisterhood because y'all thought I was going to try and be our mom and auntie. <laughs> But the friendship God has blessed me to have with you and Brittany, I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful that you had this very candid and honest conversation. Things that we talk about off camera that we dare to talk about today. Because the healing and the transformation our nation needs is going to come by really digging into the root of how this nation was built. And really as the church, both black and collective, all races of this of this of this um, nation, and dealing with it head on. Um, any last words? And and you know, I, I, I you know, I think we can pray today. I think we can pray our way out of here today. Absolutely, the King. He's a preacher. Yeah, if, man. However you want to wrap it up, but you know, I'm giving you the freedom to um, even say a word. And okay. Say, All right. Well, I just have to say, Christy, you're amazing. Um, this has been such a joy. I love, I love being able to have these conversations and thank you for just being an amazing host. And uh, let's pray. I mean, we could pray on this day. Amen. Um, I'll pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time, this era, this, this season that we're in. Father, all those, some of us might think that uh, this might be a time of confusion and craziness. And Lord, I, I give you praise that in the midst of chaos, you are still speaking. You are in the midst of chaos, Lord. You are the God that, that is able to speak with the still small voice. Lord, my prayer today is that we would not respond to the rhetoric of the season or the rhetoric of the hour, but we will hear the voice of the Lord. And that, Father, we will have, oh God, a strength to stand. Lord, I pray that we will have a strength to stand and to propel and to promote the vision of God for America. God, we pray, oh God, against, oh God, ideas that are connected with thoughts that have nothing to do with you. Lord God, cleanse our land. Father God, for for the things that we've participated in that have had nothing to do with your vision for us. But God, we pray that in Jesus' name, you're bringing the church together collectively. You're bringing, oh God, people together collectively. And you're training us and showing us how to move and propel and move forward in destiny. Lord, I lift up, oh God, America on this great Martin Luther King Day. And God, we pray that the dream that you showed him, that that dream, Father, that you show, that you revealed to him, that that dream of us being able to walk together in unity, that, Father, that dream still is obtainable. And we say that in Jesus' name, we shall walk and receive the manifestation of what you promised your prophet. God, we give you praise for that, Lord. We give you honor that, Father, that we do have a dream, that, Father, in the same way we do imagine in America that is accepting, that is loving, a church that is fresh, a church that is revived, a church that is contextualized in this, in this hour that makes sense for where we are. God, we bless you and we give you honor now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) 
I love you. I don't know where Brittany and the girls are, but you make sure you hug and kiss them for me today, okay? I will. I love you so much. You are the I best. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us today for this live edition of the Christy Taylor Show for this MLK Junior Day. Robert Randolph Rush the third pastor of Impact Church LA. If you're in the LA area and to all our LA friends, go, go be sure to go hang out with him and have some good chat and um, virtually and in person. Yes, he's doing the uh, 21st century church. So we appreciate you, pastor. I get a chance to say it like that. Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> Our reverend, you know, you're, you know, Ooh, missionary. missionary Taylor. Amen. Amen. I, I am definitely um, in that place. So thank you all so much. And until next time, blessings.